Welcome to Your Discomfort Zone, the podcast. I am your host, Miranda Harper, and you're listening to episode number three. On this episode, I will be having a conversation with my friend and mentor, Auvernette Gilbo, about giving and receiving tough love. If you are someone who feels uncomfortable giving or receiving tough love, you are definitely not alone. I ran an Instagram poll and 100% of people said they also struggle with it, myself included. I think a huge part of feeling nervous approaching these type of conversations is because we don't know how the other person will react, even if we're coming from a place of genuine love and wanting to help them. Auvernette is someone who I've respected and seen Jesus shine through since the day I met her. I look up to her so much, even though I'm taller than her. (laughs) She is full of wisdom, and I know she'll be able to give valuable advice to help me navigate and approach these conversations with more confidence and ease. So I figured it would be a great opportunity to share with others who also feel uncomfortable with this. As always, my prayer is that even one other person can benefit from this conversation because I know I will. Hey, Renette, how are you? Doing very well. I'm so excited to see you next week. I know. I haven't seen you. I was just thinking about it. I haven't seen you in three years because it was 2020 when I left. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Your birthday is next week, right? Yes. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. It's May 8th. I'll be 59. Oh my goodness. I'm catching up to you. (laughs) that is funny thank you for taking the time to have this conversation with me and help me become more comfortable having conversations of tough love because it really is so important for our growth giving tough love is something I need to learn and actively work on just like with any discomfort there's always going to be risk risk involved Mm -hmm. but risk in giving tough love is you could offend someone or hurt their feelings and that's what makes me hesitant and uncomfortable so half the time I avoid those conversations out of fear, which robs them of the potential help. So I'm very excited to have this conversation. And also it's just as important and challenging on the receiving end of the conversation. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we don't know, or we're just not aware enough to notice what we could be doing to help ourselves. So the people in our lives might try to offer wisdom even when we don't ask. So that can be uncomfortable for both the giver and the receiver. Knowing how to navigate those conversations can help us and the people that we love. So I'm very excited to talk to you with you about this. And you are someone who I've respected and looked up to ever since I've met you. And I appreciate all the tough love that you've given me. And I always learn from watching you give it to other people too, because you do it from the kindness of your heart. Yes, thank you. It's a it's a it's an honor to be on your podcast. By the way, I think this is the third episode, so you're the technically the second person who who's come on here. So that's awesome. To start us out, I'm going to explain how we met and became friends. Okay. When I moved to Covington, Georgia, I was looking at jobs on Indeed and I started searching for homeless programs because I wanted to be involved in serving the homeless. And Phoenix Pass is what popped up. And I was like, man, I really got to work here. So I applied through Indeed and then I got an email back that said I was rejected. So I emailed you personally and I was like, hey, I know you don't want to hire me, but are there any (laughs) volunteer opportunities that I could join and be a part of? I just want to learn because eventually I want to start my own homeless program. You replied back and you were like, that's so weird because I sent the wrong button. I didn't mean to reject you. (laughs) That's right. That's absolutely right. (laughs) 
<laughs> and you wouldn't have known that if I didn't email you. So if you're listening to this, this is your sign. If you get a rejection email to send send a follow-up email because you never know what could happen. Um, right. So yeah, then you invited me to come in and I didn't know that it was an interview. I thought I was going to just meet up with you and talk with you. So they ended up showing up and then you called me back and wanted to hire me. So that's how I started working at Phoenix Pass. And honestly, it's been one of my favorite jobs. It's been the most awarding job that I've had. And just everything that I learned from you and from the program itself is a special time for me and a special opportunity for me. You were you you were very special to work with. 100 yeah. percent. You touched the lives of so many people. I love that. I, I still think about Phoenix Pass like every day. Go ahead and tell a little bit about yourself and your position at Phoenix Pass and give all the details about Phoenix Pass that you can, because I could talk about Phoenix Pass all day. (laughs) Okay. So my name is Avernet Gilbo, an executive director at Phoenix Pass. I started off as actually in one of my practicums for school, and I chose Phoenix Pass to come and teach classes about life skills. And the reason why I selected Phoenix Pass is because it dealt mostly with women. And from there, I started off as a volunteer and became their program coordinator and then executive director. Phoenix Pass is a place for women to come. And I was—I always like to say repair their wings. Not that they're just completely broken. They're just tattered a little bit. But it helps people, women to get back on their feet. And so it is a program. It is supportive housing, transitional housing. And what it is, they live, the women get to live there rent-free, utilities-free for up to two years. But it is a program. And so um, they have to save 30% of their income. The other 70% is not for eating out or hanging out. It is for them to save so they don't have to go into their savings. The other part of it is they have to receive case management. Case management is once a month and it's flexible, I mean, once a week. And it is flexible, but they have to attend it. That's not, you can't say you have other things to do. That's part of the program. We also have classes the first and third Tuesdays of every month. Those classes are mandatory classes and they range anywhere from financial literacy, household management, parenting, learning how to volunteer, learning how to public speak, learning how to advocate for yourself and etiquette, and the list goes on and on. And we have community partners that come and teach those classes, people who are experts. We've even had stay-at-home moms because they're able to talk about organizational skills and administrative skills. And we're just able to pour into the women where they're able to become self-sufficient. The only way a mom is able to come there is that they have custody of their children. So it could be a grandmother, it could be an aunt, it could be a sister. But it had, they have to have custody of the child. The children also get their, I guess, case management and their youth empowerment. They get the same things their moms get, just on a, a level where children can understand it. So we talk about finances with kids. We talk about the reason why they're homeless. We talk about bullying and peer pressure and academics. We cover things like social skills. And so that helps the whole family to become holistic. The whole goal is to get them to self-sufficiency. When they're in those case management meetings, they're talking about their goals. They're talking about what they would like to see happen with their family and with their finances and with their social skills, their life skills. And all the things that we do in that program is 100 percent geared towards the families. We work very hard uh, writing grants, 
fundraising. We have two key fundraisers a year. One is the Frosty 5K that happens in January. And then we have our annual Mother's Day golf tournament, which is going to be happening on the 15th May this year. And those are our signature fundraisers. However, we have other fundraisers. We get out there and we do yard sales and we do speaking engagements. We go to rotaries. We go to different events and talk about Phoenix Pass. Sometimes we even train the women to go out and speak on our behalf. And that's part of the advocacy program that they learn how to advocate for themselves and for us. And it's a really solid program. We have a 77% success rate and not everybody's going to make it. What's required to get in is pretty easy. You just cannot be on drugs. You And we do drug tests periodically and we drug test upon coming into the program. You have to, you cannot be pregnant and you can't get pregnant while in the program either. We prefer you have a car, don't have to have a car, but we prefer that. And you have to work 40 hours a week in order to be the program because that's what helps you to save, helps the women to save the 30%. Mm-hmm. And what you said about the car, when I was there, there were times where some mothers didn't have the car, but they were donated a car by a local car dealership, right? Yes, we actually have car dealership sometimes, and then we have individuals. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, one mom gave away a really good car because her son had completed college, and he didn't want it anymore. Wow. I love that. I love how the two nonprofits I worked for is Phoenix Pass and then a children's shelter in Texas. And just seeing the community come together and help each other out, that was always so cool to see. And Phoenix Pass, we would go to the community events where everyone would come together and share what they were doing in the community, what they needed help with. And that was probably one of my favorite parts about being involved in the community. What kind of tough love conversations do you have to have at at Phoenix Pass as an executive director and as case manager? Because you were doing case management for a while as well. The tough love conversations are going to, you know, it's going to be about family. That's what I found that to be probably the top when it comes to tough conversations. Parenting, money, you know, um, mothers who have multiple fathers, drug use, bad attitudes, uh, boundaries, you know, what caused them to be in this situation. You have to be very careful because you don't want shame, guilt, and all those ugly things, anxiety to come into the picture. So you have to think about all of that when you start thinking about having those type of conversations and remembering that you might not see this person again, you're interviewing them. And so you definitely have to be careful and invite the Holy Spirit into those conversations. Yeah, I think a part of that is holding a safe space for them. So I just started a new job and I don't know anything. There's so much learning involved. And so that means there's a lot of constructive criticism involved there. I'm not afraid to do something wrong on accident at work because my managers have created that safe space for me to come to them. And they did that by encouraging me to ask any questions that I have. And they are so patient about it. They don't judge us for not knowing something or making mistakes. So That's why our space we open people to and our delivery really matters when we're giving constructive criticism. In situations where you might not know the person very well and you haven't developed that space space with them yet, how do you approach and navigate those conversations with them? Or do you think tough love is just for people who you're close to who have a better chance of understanding your intentions? That's a really good question. I think for the most part, it's important to just already be a safe space, mm-hmm. whether they know it or not. You've created that because that's what they're going to have to receive from you. 
mostly that's going to be about love and love for people. It takes a while. Let me just say this real quick. It takes a while to get to that point mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. in order for you to be a safe space, you would have had to learn what safe space is and what it looks like when you're helping someone else to get to that point. A lot of times it's you're involving discernment, making sure that it's not an overkill safe space. I'm always looking at the person. I'm looking at their behavior. I'm looking at their affect. I'm looking at everything that God has mm-hmm. helped me to look at and look for the sermon and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Showing up as a safe space puts people at ease, especially at Phoenix Pass. One of the first things I tell them is it's okay to be nervous. I don't tell them to relax. I say it's okay to be nervous. You don't know me and I don't know you. I said, so this is the opportunity where we learn how to you know, get along and learn about one another. I asked the pertinent questions in the very beginning. And the reason why that's important is because if I've identified that they're not going to be able to come to Phoenix Pass, then I shouldn't be asking them anything further. If they show up as a candidate that we're likely going to bring in, then that's when I go into asking the tougher questions. And with the limited time that we have with them, giving them the the space to be comfortable to share and how you ask a question. You don't ask, so why are you homeless? That's the wrong thing to ask. How many fathers are there? Those are the wrong things to ask. You, There's a gentleness involved there. And you say something to the effect. So um, can you share a little bit what caused you to experience homelessness? And the experience homelessness as opposed to homelessness, just saying they're homeless, gives light to the fact that they're human and and you give them their dignity in the process. And so you don't just do it to people you're close to. You do it to everybody you encounter, whether you're at Phoenix Pass, whether it's personal. How you navigate those conversations is through gentleness, but truthfulness. Because mm-hmm. I have to know the answers. It's part of it. When we have an 11-page application that they've already filled out. So you try not to go over and over things, you, you listen to them the first time and make it count. Yeah. In the Bible, God calls us to be kind. And there's actually a big difference in being kind and being nice. Being nice is usually associated with being a people pleaser and just kind of not testing the rocks, I guess, or testing the boat. But being kind means telling someone something they may not want to hear, but they need to hear it in a loving and non-judgmental way. When you're being given tough love, how do you discern if the giver is being kind or judgmental? And do you think that it's best to maybe like straight up ask them their intentions in the moment or maybe listen and decide later on? That's a good question. This is where you have to be careful with your spiritual gifts Mm -hmm. because you may have gotten information that this person is not on the up and up. So you don't say, hey, what's your intentions? You have to navigate that to be, you, you got to just kind of ask questions that are, you're going to get the answer to. A lot of times when I ask those questions, honestly, it's the leading of the Holy Spirit. I might say, so you just shared with me that you had to drive 40 miles to get to work, but yet you also shared earlier that you didn't have transportation on a regular basis. So I'm not sure what, you know, which one is which. So you can always lead through clarification and they will start, they will stump up, you know, more than likely if you're asking the right questions with the gentleness and the respect that they need. Always remember that sometimes you're talking to a spirit. I hate to sound, I mean, spooky, but sometimes you, you got to figure out who you're talking to. You got to have a certain boldness about you. 
to know and be confident because you're coming from a really good place, a safe place that someone's able to share. And so there's no reason for them to hide. And sometimes when you get to the bottom line of things, they're embarrassed or they're ashamed or they don't really want to say that where they were working was a place that they're not proud of. Navigating that part of it, there's a certain boldness that come with it. And coming from my history, I'm a recovering enabler. Mm -hmm. I had to learn how to address people without trying to play God and feel their needs. So when I separate that and put the cross in between us, I'm able to see things a lot more clearer. Wow. That is all really good advice, (laughs) especially with the clarification, because you're not accusing them of something. So they're not automatically in defense mode, I guess, because you're not accusing them of something. They're not trying to clear their intention with the clarification. That makes so much sense. When we give tough love solutions or advice, sometimes it's when people are angry or upset about a situation and their feelings are all over the place. I know that's happened a lot at Phoenix Pass when people have come to find housing and found out that they weren't eligible or they had to go through a whole process and they were thinking it was more of a shelter. So they would get pretty upset about it because maybe they were referred to there or they said God told them to go there or whatever it may be. They may be very upset that we're saying not right now. Mm-hmm. So in those moments, it's natural for us to be in solution mode when someone is talking about an issue of any kind of sort. So is that a time when tough love may not be the right answer? And should you wait until later when they calm down and process their own feelings? Or is that actually a good time to offer potential solutions? That time, I would say you offer the truth. The tough love in that situation, because of what they're hearing, they're not hearing that you were turned down. They're hearing rejection. Mm -hmm. I'm not good enough. Um, Or they think a a loudspeaker is everybody knows now that they've, you know, didn't get in. And so truth is going to be important there. The first thing we're going to offer are resources. I'm sorry that you weren't able to get into this program. Unfortunately, you failed a drug test. So let me give you a list of other places that might be able to assist you financially. You always want to leave them with the truth. It's a tough conversation. The love in that part comes really easy because you know that you're not doing it maliciously or just ill intent, but you literally cannot offer them a position. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you have to go with the truth. And sometimes that seems tough for those, like you said, who are listening or having to experience that. That's where the enabling have to move past you. And again, see that person through the cross. Yeah, that's really good advice too. Because I was going to ask you, what is the best way to, as the giver, to best prevent the receiver from being hurt and not cause an argument? But I think you're spot on with the truth. And, you know, we're never going to have control over how somebody's going to react. And that's always going to be the risk involved in these kind of conversations and where our hesitation and, and uncomfortableness comes from. But yeah, delivery really plays a part in it, the space that you offer to them, and also positive reinforcement and encouragement with it instead of saying like, you should do this or you should do that, giving them options as well so that they have still some control over the situation and you're not like telling them what to do. To your point, you're going to have people who are going to be argumentative. Mm -hmm. And I lean into that, actually. (laughs) So that could be a little tough love. And I lean into it because an argument is just an exchange. But I learn more in the argument when they're heated because it's where the heat is is when you start kind of hearing truth. When I hear someone arguing or pleading, 
I hear someone who's very scared because they don't know what their next move is. Mm -hmm. They may have run out of options. So you want to listen for uh, suicidal thoughts, ideation. You want to hear if there's hopelessness. If you really take the argument for what it is, you can hear more of what that person's saying because uh, you're not arguing back with them. You're engaging them, but they're arguing and they're upset and they're ready to, you know, call everybody and tell them how horrible you are. And what you're really hearing is, I feel defenseless. I feel powerless. Yeah, that is so good. Another angle that you can go at with these conversations is reminding them that you are giving them this tough love and holding them accountable because you believe that they can do it. And sometimes they just need somebody to believe in them that they can do it. Yeah, that's going to be for the women who are in the program. And that's very good and and true because one of the things that we don't want to see people do is despair. It's a little bit more harder when you got people who are coming in for an interview or people who are walking up thinking that they could just qualify for the program and you just can see their affect. You see the deflation. And so one of the goals is not to touch their spirit in a way that can bring more harm to them and to their soul. So if you live this life, you don't have to worry about doing that. If you if you live a life of safe space, being safe people, your goal is to show the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. So it makes it a lot more easier because when you're giving the information and you're able to really see them, I mean, like really see them, you can see the lost. Let me just say that there's a lady who came and you literally could see, you know, private parts and you could t- and she had just got out the car with a John and you see the brokenness. So you don't want to belabor her. You don't want to say, so come on in, let me have a talk with you. Let me get you saved. That's not what you do. You offer feminine hygiene products. You offer, do you have food? Do you need me to call the police? When you're looking at people and when you're engaging people, it's important to be mindful who you're engaging. And let me be very clear. In order to get to this point, you would have to have gone through some things. I have gone through some things. I've learned tough, tough lessons of humility that God allowed me to experience because he knew the work that needed to be done for his children. Mm -hmm. I always say that he puts us through situations so that we can help other people go through it as well. That's always a good perspective to have when we're going through tough times because it's more than likely going to help someone that he puts in your path. Absolutely. Yeah, that always is the bright side of things. There's a silver lining. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's been a couple of times that I've talked myself out of confrontation because I think I should just mind my own business. So how do you decide if and when it's necessary for you to step in and help if they're not asking you to? Is that kind of like a prayer that you need to have in that moment to God, like speak through me to them? Or how how does that look for you personally? I think that's a really, really good question, because especially in today's world where people, their feelings are just more important than the truth. Again, you really have to look at the affect situation by situation. There's a real quick story I'm going to tell. Mm-hmm. When I was in the world years ago, I was, a, I was probably 20, 22. I was in a really bad accident that really should have taken my life. Um, but I wasn't living a godly life at all. I, it wasn't that I was doing crazy things. I just wasn't living a godly life. And I was seeking outside advice from uh, people who were not of God. And doing that, I got to live. And I'm, I'm like, God, you know, you let me live. And I started a journey of seeking him of seeking God and seeking truth about who he is. So I feel like whenever he allows someone to come in my presence, 
I need to show up. That means having the tough conversations. And that even means doing the tough things. Mm-hmm. So I believe that if I'm hearing and God allowed me to hear what I'm hearing, I got to figure out a way at that point to engage this person, to give them that one piece of advice. Now, I'm one of those people that the type of warrior I am is, okay, so there's a warrior who they just go in and they just, it's all war. They're just fighting. And then they ask, oh, wow, I wasn't supposed to take that person out. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm the type of person that goes through, Lord, are you short? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, am I supposed to be doing this? Am I supposed to say this? I just want to be sure. Give me a sign. So I'll open with a conversation. Sometimes I'll open with prayer, but more than likely it's going to be. So tell me a little bit about yourself. I need to know how you got to this point because I see that you're really strong. Somehow you're handling this. So I start with a real compliment, not a fake compliment or exhortation, I like to call it. And so when I do that, I'm able to now I'm, I'm learning more about who they are. And now I know how to engage them. I'll know their temperament a little bit better. Man, you give such good advice on every question that I have. I'm learning so much. A quick side note with that story. What is your testimony? So since you said you weren't living such a godly life, how did that transition happen for you? Uh, thanks for asking that question. I'll be happy to share, actually. When I was a little girl living in Texas, uh, we were a military family, and I used to give out Bibles. You know, as a, as for Christmas, I would go and collect people's old Bibles and re-gift them. <laughs> It was quite innocent. I quite, I had a I knew that God was real and that He loved me. But then the older I got, I started experiencing some really traumatic events. And I'm careful how I phrase that because there's been a lot of forgiveness, and so there are a lot of circumstances beyond my control. And I wouldn't want anybody to have to experience that having your power taken from you. It's awful. And so you go through this thing of, you know, am I enough now? You know, on so many levels, when people take things from you, you feel dejected. You feel like, you know, who's going to love me? Who's going to be who's going to be able to see through me and uh, care about my life? And so I go on and I'm, I'm a teenager. I'm trying to navigate these waters. I have to deal with bullying and peer pressure. And when I, I will say this, I want to put something in here because I don't want it to sound victim-esque, but. When I was being bullied because I was a new kid, I bullied another kid. I didn't bully her like, because I'm me, I'm four feet 11, all 100 pounds, right? But they would bully me out of my lunch money and uh, they would always accuse me of, you know, dating their boyfriends. I'm like, I don't even know what dating is. And I really didn't. And so this one young lady, one day I was like, they took my money. So can I please, can you just give me your lunch money? You know, that's bullying. We think it's, you know, it doesn't sound like it is, but that's 100% bullying and it's manipulative, right? Yeah. I don't want to come off some clean chick at all, but it didn't feel good to my spirit, even though at that time I'm, I'm like, I'm not even sure who God is anymore uh, because I felt so unprotected as a young person. And I got involved with a lot of different things and a lot of different religions. And I went to a palm reader. And I don't know how I got to her because I didn't even know what that was. I just know that when I got to be 18 or 19, I would pass this building every day and it says, we can tell your future. And there was, I had just one question to ask, just one. And I went and asked a question. I can't say what the question is. Uh, One day I will be able to, but I had to ask that question. And the lady goes, don't be ridiculous, the palm reader. 
Well, that would lead me to a year long of just going to her for everything. So I want, and the reason why I want to share that piece of it and be a little bit more clear about that piece, because I think that's such a deception. That became my God because I now, she gave me what I didn't have. I needed nurturing. And when she, when I answered the question, she says, don't be ridiculous. And she held me and she just pretty much said, come back, come back next week, come back anytime. She made it seem very safe, like it was okay to come and consult her. And I would do that. It led to a, a destructive path. I, I mentioned earlier the accident. She told me, she goes, you're going to have a fender bender, but you'll be okay. And I had a full blown going off the overpass accident. It was not a fender bender. It should have taken my life, to be honest with you. And so when I was going down that overpass and I hit a tree, I heard the Lord clearly say, choose this day who you're going to serve. Choose this day who you're going to serve. That was nobody speaking to me. There was no one else in the car mm-hmm. except for a black cat. And that's what that's how I had the accident. The cat came up. He wasn't, I didn't have him in anything. He wasn't secured and he came up and scared me and I lost control of the car. And true story, I, I'm in this ambulance and a guy is just really badgering me. You, you've been drinking? I'm like, no, I don't drink. I haven't been, you've been drinking? I'm like, no. And his partner goes, hey, stop, man, stop. And so when I get to the hospital, this nurse, she starts tickling my feet. I actually giggled. She goes, I did that because I tickled my boyfriend's feet like that. And it always relaxes him. She goes, you're going to be okay. I said, well, the guy in the ambulance was really mean to me. She goes, you're going to be okay. Mm. And I was okay. And when I get better and I get well, I go and I tell them so I can say thank you to this nurse. And they said, we've never had anybody here who worked emergency who's worked. I said, can you look at that night? I'm telling you, she was there. He goes, there is no one who even fit the description, let alone the name. Wow. And I said, well, also, I don't have a bill. And they said it was no charge. <laughs> what? True story. I'm telling you, I have so many stories like that. Yeah. The lights went out in my apartment. It was pure dark in there, the light, because I hadn't paid the bill. I had paid part of the bill, but they needed all of the money. And I saw this light, this flash of light come behind me. And remember, it's pure dark. And I'm in a closet because I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I'm on my knees. I'm balled up. Mm-hmm. And there was this voice that was so sweet. And it said, you're not ready for me yet, but you will be. Wow. And the lights came on. <laughs> the, light, the physical lights came back on. I called a buddy who had been trying to pursue me uh, for Christ. She was. Uh, we had gone to school together. We were in college together. And she had just started. She goes, I just want to, I just feel led to just walk with you and talk with you about who who Jesus is. And I'm broke. I don't have money. One day I walk over to the grocery store and I'm like, okay, God, I got $5. But she's been so good to me. I just want to feed her something. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get some cheese and crackers. I go and get the cheese. It's a little bit too expensive. So I get peanut butter instead. And I go to the cracker section and I'm bending down and I'm getting the cheapest crackers I can find. I found me they were 53 cents for a whole box. And I'm getting the crackers and this guy comes up to me. He looks like he was made of pure leather. And he says, don't get those crackers, get these. I'm like, I can't afford those crackers. It was quickening my spirit. My mom always said, you know, be kind to your elders. So finally, I kind of felt a little convicted. And I said, okay, sir, I'm going to get these. He goes, if you get those, I promise you, you will never want another kind. So it hit me. I'm like, whoa, whoa, what is this guy talking about? So I look up to find him and he's gone. Mm -hmm. He's not on any aisle. 
And let me tell you, this man was old. He wasn't walking fast. Okay. And so then I'm kind of in a daze because mm-hmm. I'm thinking to myself, what just happened? I go to the meeting with the with the young lady. She comes to my apartment. The lights are on, <laughs> and she's and she's really leading me to the Lord. The next day, I went to the drugstore. I think I had a little money left over. I needed some cotton balls or something. And the Holy Spirit said, "That was me." Mm-hmm. He says, "Choose you this day." I said, "I choose you. I choose you, God. I don't know what that's going to lead to. You scare me. I'm afraid of you, and I think you're a puppeteer." I'd much rather have you than Satan. Yeah. And once you have him, you'll never want another anything else, just like the crackers. <laughs> the crackers. That was so amazing to me. And all of those things led me to, I didn't even understand my spiritual gifts. I've always been able to see things. I've always known things, but I didn't understand what that was. I thought it was a curse. Like I knew too much or what's happening with me. And the lady who walked with me, she would just share with me. No, this is who you are. And from there, he started. I started having to listen and be obedient. He would tell me to go do something. I would do it. And that's what I mean by the tough love. I get it. He brought me through so much. And the way God brought me through was that tough love. And it's not the, the, walk is, the walks on the beach, you know, the, oh, the sweet sayings and, oh, you know, you can do it because you are beautiful. It wasn't that kind of thing. It was, listen, the kingdom is at stake. Your life is at stake. This has to happen in order for this to happen. There are laws in my kingdom. There are things that I need this person to get because their life is in jeopardy. I mean, it just got so real for me. And yes, there is that sweet, gentle part. But for the life that I've had to live and the ministry that God has called me to is telling the truth in love. So what you said about your spiritual gifts and how you listen to God. I saw a quote the other day and it said, stop asking why God isn't talking back to you or answering you. Maybe you should ask yourself, are you hearing him? Because that's huge in the conversations that we have with God because he does talk back to us, whether it's in our mind or through other people, like he's going to talk back to you and we just have to hear him. And he does give us so much tough love because a lot of the times where he's going to answer our prayers, but it's not going to be how we expect it to be or how we want it to be. So sometimes we miss it a lot, but his plan is always going to be greater than what we have planned. So even if it's not what we want, he's always going to give us what we need. And tough love like with God is super important because that's always the best love. You know, one of the things um, when we talk about tough love and I love, you've always been such a pioneer in thought to me. I, I admire you a lot. And when you talk about uncomfortable conversations, I just thought that was such a, that is tough love, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to even bring something like that out before the podcast, by the way, you've been doing this for a while now. And the uncomfortable conversations is where the growth happens. Mm -hmm. It's where we're able to meet the cross, so to speak. That's why I thought you were so on time when you shared with me all of your paraphernalia about the uncomfortable. To me, I'm like, this is the perfect time for this because everybody's putting on social media all the nice things. Meanwhile, they're running people off the road, knowing they don't know how to handle their real stress. Everything is about what it looks like as opposed to what it really is. And those of us who are able able to see the way it really is, we get that it's hard to deliver a message to somebody who's not there. And that's when you allow the Holy Spirit to just give you utterance, to give you the wisdom, the information about that person. It's never arbitrary. It's never for us to misuse. You know, that would be called something else. Yeah. 
And that's that's the beauty of uncomfortable conversations. People have had to have uncomfortable conversations with me. And I, I can tell you one of the things that I've learned is if it hurts me, it's going to heal me. Something about that conversation, something about what that person said, guys already told me, I need you to work on that. You know, there was a time when I was in a lot of pain. Your gifts don't go away just because you're in a lot of pain. And they don't get better at that moment just because you're in a lot of pain. When I'm tired, I get cranky. I'm no good to nobody. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. God spent years dealing with me on rest. Mm-hmm. I remember you talking about this, actually. Whenever I hear like God's telling me to rest, I'm like, oh, Renee, I, gotta, I always think about it. <laughs> that's okay. See, that's good because I cannot tell you the importance of rest and rest is in him. Rest is that self-care that nobody can teach you how to do but God. You know, self-care for me is being still. Yes, I might go for a walk and yes, I do all these physical things, but it's my spirit man that God is concerned about. It's my soul and I need to learn how to rest. I think on my job, I'm, I used to be, I'm a recovering workaholic. I used to work all the time, day in and day out and weekends. And he's like, no, I never told you to do that. Have you not heard the story, story of Mary and Martha? I never told you to work until you just couldn't, until you just dropped. And I was a miserable individual. I didn't even know it because now I'm just on a mode of being professional. So how am I going to engage someone on a, on another level when all I am is professional? Mm-hmm. All I am is work, work, work in business, business, business. And so that idea of rest, it looks so good because now you can deliver the tough information. Now you can have the tough and uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. The true rest is, am I trusting God for the information? Am I trusting that God actually has this? Mm-hmm. So I'm not drained when I have to minister to somebody. Mm-hmm. You can't pour from an empty cup. Can't pour from an empty cup, but you can definitely give people your overflow. Yeah. Whatever you're filling your cup with, that is what's going to overflow to others. I actually just had that conversation with my sister a couple of weeks ago because I saw another quote. It was an analogy where someone was holding a cup of coffee and they spilled it and they're like, oh no, I spilled my coffee because you bumped into me. And they were like, it's not because I bumped into you. It's because you had coffee in your cup. And that's the same thing with like us. Like when when somebody does something to us and we get upset and we get angry and we go off on them, we're not doing that because they did something to us. Like maybe they brushed their shoulder or something, but it's because that's what's inside of us. And we need to process those emotions in other ways so that we're not overflowing that onto others and reacting in that type of way. You know, that's actually very good uh, because, you know, everybody talks about protecting your light, protecting your spirit and, and all that is true. But if you're not identifying what's draining you, you're not going to know what to pray about Mm -hmm. and what to cover. Say, we can have a conversation on a Monday, but it won't hit me until late Tuesday night when I'm trying to sleep. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be immediate because between that time that I talked to you, I had two or three other conversations. So it's very hard for me to identify at that point. Where did that come in? What was that that took my energy that drained me? And the leading of the Holy Spirit, whenever you get to get up or whenever you get the opportunity to get into the word, that's number one, and then have the opportunity just to meditate on the things of God. And meditation for me is I'll take a scripture and I'll meditate on that scripture. If I'm going through something, I'll meditate on that. It's a lifestyle, not situational. And so it's going to make it a lot more easier when someone bumps into you. An attitude, I'm telling you, is everything. And we deal with that a lot at Phoenix Pass uh, because people just talk it up to just having a bad attitude. 
But really what I'm seeing is disappointment after disappointment, rejection after rejection, loss after loss. And this is how I feel. I'm completely empty. And I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know how to navigate it. So I'm going to lash out. I don't know how to deal with somebody being kind to me because I'm used to people being unkind. You know, I'm used to people not showing me any grace and no mercy. So when you hear people, that's what I'm looking for. I'm like, okay, I need to know how to show up for this person. And that's a that's not enabling where I used to be. It used to be me showing up. So, of course, I'm going to be drained. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. playing God. And, and it's all about me. Another very quick story. I was at, I worked at a, a large church and uh, this lady had asked me to, somebody uh, bailed on her at the last minute. And I do graphics from time to time. And she asked me to make her program. And I, I went into a really cocky, you know, I'm like, oh, so she needed me after all. She was just trying to, you know, discount me a minute ago. It was a bad attitude, right? And so the event happens at night and the Holy Spirit says, you know, you know go to that event. I'm like, ah, no, not really. It's not my event. And I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe I will go. She's going to, you know, talk about different things. So she's giving credit to all these people and she didn't call my name. And I'm bringing that up because you've got to be careful of that spirit of offense. Mm-hmm. She didn't call my name. I'll make this short. I get back to my car and I'm just going off on God. I'm like, I don't understand it. I worked my butt off at the last minute under pressure. You know, my gifts, you know, made room for her. And I'm just going all these things. And God says, well, well, tell me more. I said, and I, you know, and I just was, he goes, and and, and who? And I said, <laughs> I said, oh, I'm using I too much. I'm the one that gave you those gifts. I'm the one that even made you available to help her because she needed it. She's my daughter too. And I'm thinking to myself, crap, all that I messed up. I have messed up. I have messed up. And he's like, now, if you can't walk in a different type of, if you can't be humble in the things that I've given you, I can give them to somebody else. It was a, that's a tough conversation, right? Yeah. And it was with pure love because I felt it all over me. I felt the eyes, I, 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 I felt it. So I learned from the best. I learned from my father who taught his daughter how to serve people and serve them well, so much so that if I'm not serving them well, I'm going to be convicted. I'm not going to sleep. I'm going to have to apologize. I apologize to people and they're like, what are you apologizing for? <laughs> and I'm like, because I made a mistake, because I didn't do the right thing by you. Ah, oh, that wasn't a problem. Yeah, it actually was. See, we don't see it as a problem because we're looking at the flesh, but I may have given out, I may have not given the right information or I may have been deceptive because I felt like you had enough. And, you know, I think when we're not honest about who we are, we can't help somebody. Mm -hmm. Very true. You know, we just talked a little bit about having your energy drained and how you can't give to others when you're drained. Kind of going off of that, have you ever had someone come to you for advice and you give them great advice and they agree with it in the moment and then they don't actually end up taking it and they keep ending up in the same position and coming to you for the same issue over and over again? Sometimes it can feel like you're wasting your energy in that way and being drained by giving advice if they're not even going to take it. So at that point, do you set a boundary with them or do you let them know, you know, this is a repetitive thing for you? How, how do you handle that kind of conversation? That's a really good question. So you have to really be mindful of where people are coming from. Remember, I just shared about seeing a palm reader. Mm -hmm. I would have made up my mind about something and I talked to her and I would change it all around based on her intel, which was ungodly. So I began to rely on that. So what I do when I'm listening to people and they're not taking my advice or they're not hearing what I'm saying, I recognize that they have a lot of other people in their ear. Mm -hmm. It's just not me. They have other people that they're listening to. 
And I mean, I can't tell you how many times at Phoenix Pass, someone will come in and say, yeah, you know, I decided I'm going to leave. I'm like, really? I said, can you explore? Can you tell me, you know, what's going on? Why are you choosing to leave? Oh, it's just the best time. I literally saw this young lady go out. She walked out. I was able to see her walking and she's on the phone. She stops and then she comes back into the building and says, you know what? I changed my mind. Now, she didn't know I was watching her all this time. I share those stories because it's never just black and white. It's you always have to kind of really see where that person is and see what's motivating them. And if you're not able to see that, then being able to identify the right source matters. You know, the enemy, he, he takes the mind to and from. You just go to and from mm-hmm. all the time. But when you're walking in, in the divine, so to speak, you have a different pathway. So when I'm looking and listening to people, even people who I know who have been saved for years, who know the Lord, I'm still listening to them because something's affecting their decision. Something's causing them to not be certain. I, again, I lean into those type of situations. I don't shy away from them because I want to know what spirit I'm dealing with because that's who I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. If they're draining me, I want to know where that source is. If their mind seems like it's reprobate, which is so, we don't talk about those things anymore. I need to know who I'm dealing with because if I'm dealing with a rebellious person, uh, that doesn't mean they don't get to get in. It doesn't mean that they get shunned. I'm listening to see if, if this is going to be a good fit for them. And so I hope that answers your question because it's just, there is no real one answer. The whole point is to bring glory to God. And if you do this to the least of them, you've done it to me. So I'm always in that mind frame of who am I dealing with? Mm-hmm. What you just said about how someone might have somebody else in their ear. And I guess that depends on who they have in their life, who's in their circle. So how important do you think it is to surround yourself with people who will give you tough love? Because I'm assuming those people who are telling them the opposite are probably just telling them stuff that they want to hear and they're not really giving them the tough love. And that's also where their decision making kind of gets a little bit confusing for them because they have two different types of love that they're being given for advice. That's actually very good, Miranda. And that's the other voices that they're listening to. You only can be accountable for yourself. Mm-hmm. You And you pray that that truth lands where it's supposed to. And that if you have given the wrong advice, that they somehow are guided to the right uh, source, the right advice. There are times I've questioned if I said the right thing or if I did the right thing. I mean, it'll weigh on me. And I'll ask God, can you just you know clear that up if there's something I need to go back? And there are times I've had to go back and say, hey, I don't think I meant to say that. I'm, I'm pretty sure I should have said that. Mm-hmm. And to, to your point, they'll give this blank stare like they weren't listening to begin with, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but that also might be that opportunity that God says, go back. So me questioning myself sometimes is a really good thing because it makes me go back and reiterate or it makes me go back and say something different, mm-hmm. which I used to get caught up in. Well, you know, mother's in your ear and mother's not a healthy person. So why are you listening to her? She's making you frantic. She's making you this. So I had to change that language. And I'm like, you know, she's just really experiencing some things herself. And the best way to, for you to do is to kind of take care of yourself in this manner. And so it's how you share it, when you share it. It's almost like you don't have patients sign papers when they're under medication. When someone is experiencing anxiety or when they're experiencing confusion, that is not the time to, to go in and just, you know, give all your great wisdom. That's the time when you just kind of de-escalate the situation so that when you know when they hear you, they're going to hear you. And because you are in the word, they're hearing God's word. Mm-hmm. That is really good advice. I think we've all been on the receiving side of tough love at some point. 
it can be easy to be offended by it because of out of embarrassment, unhealed wounds, truly believing that the giver is wrong from your current perspective. So what advice do you have for someone on the receiving side who may be easily triggered by tough love and automatically go into defensive mode? That can be a little tough because the walls are up. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't mean you back down. Again, I lean in and with love and I lean in to uh, gain understanding. Sometimes I'll walk away with absolutely no understanding. But m- there are many times that I get a better understanding. And so I would say leaning in, that's the uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the tough love. And tough love is love given in truth with mercy and with grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, normally when I'm dealing with someone who gets offended, and this is going to be very important. If I've dealt with something and God has healed me on it and I have to minister or talk to somebody else about it and they become defensive or aggressive, that's telling me that there's something in them that has not healed because that spirit is not allowing them to receive. Yeah. I send out thank you cards for people who purchase something from your discomfort zone. And I've been sending them to people who come on the podcast as well. And I would just put yours in an envelope. And part of what it says is the work that we do on ourselves becomes our gift to others. And especially in those conversations, because that's self-growth in that and processing our feelings, why we feel the way that we do. It's going to help us react in a more... I don't want to say mature way, but it's going to help us react in a more loving way for when people come to us with constructive criticism like this, because we're not offended because we want to grow. Like if we're already in the mindset of, I already know that I have work to do on myself, because that's always my thought process. Like I'm always in the mindset of what can I learn from this situation, from this conversation, from this person. So just being in that mindset alone, going into every conversation or experience that also helps a lot too with not being offended. It does. And you are really good about that. You have this beautiful smile. I can always tell when you're uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, um, you, you're one of the most gentle people that I know. Um, and it shows through how you approach things. And, you know, one of the things, I don't know if you ever really knew this about yourself or not, you did. But, you know, the way you advocate is very quiet. And it's very selective. And I say that meaning you don't take anything lightly. The way you approach things is very careful and you're not looking to hurt. You're looking to just build and you're really good at that. And you do things with such class. You bring people, you know, the dignity that you bring to situations. It's just very special. Thank you for sharing that. It's all right back to you. And I always tell people that you're my mentor, even though you're my boss. I always say that, well, she's my boss, but she's basically my mentor. I look up to her so much because she's so full of wisdom and and love. And Jesus shines through you very well and very brightly. That reminds me of of your lights in your apartment. In that moment, I was thinking God is our light. So him actually showing you physical light is such a huge sign. Thank you for that, because that is how he has honestly worked in my life. It has been some tough lessons that he's allowed to come through. There was a time I didn't even think about being a leader. That was not, I never thought of myself as a leader. I just do my work. I just do the job, Mm -hmm. right? I want to be pleasing to God. For years, he was trying to tell me, no, you're a leader. And I'm thinking that word didn't even come across my mind. He used some really tough, a really tough circumstance because I would never put my my degrees on the wall because I thought that was arrogant. These people don't care about degrees. They just want the help. 
And he kept telling me, put him on the wall, put him on the wall. And so I brought him into the office and I set him on the ground. Mm -hmm. There again, here I am now exalting myself, thinking I'm higher than God. So I'm just going to leave him on the ground. And the final word, put him on the wall. And I put him on the wall and this little girl comes through. She must have been about eight. She was one of the smartest kids I think I've ever met. And she goes, do you live here? I said, I don't live here. And she goes, are those degrees on your wall? And I said, they are. She goes, good, because you know what you're talking about. I just want to know if you could. <laughs> what is happening? I mean, this is an eight-year-old kid who was giving me the business. <laughs> she asked, and it was just the most amazing conversation. It was probably all of five mm-hmm. minutes. And I'm like, half the parents don't even ask those questions. Yeah. And she just came in and asked that question. And the only reason why I'm sharing these things is because I to see you got to be able to see the journey to get to where people are humbled enough to be able to have these uncomfortable conversations, to be able to have the tough love. And so I still, even after that conversation with that young girl, I still didn't understand that I was a leader. So that means I was doing things that I probably should not have been doing. I wasn't drinking or hanging out. It wasn't that kind of thing. It was attitude. Recently, a situation happened probably right at COVID. And this young lady almost ran me off the road. And I pulled up to the stop sign and she pulled right up beside me and was just looking at me. I said, ma'am, you have got to be careful. You could have hurt me. And then she just pulled off. I then get it of her telling me what I had done to her. She started siding off because she knew I had came from Phoenix Pass. She saw me come out of the, you know, that area. And she started telling me, you're a Christian counselor. I read your profile. You're this and you're that. And I'm thinking, this woman has lost it. She is just going off on me. And I did everything right. So I was more concerned about being right. So what ended up happening, God woke me up around two that morning, two o'clock in the morning. He says, go read that email. I said, why would you want me to read all that negativity? He says, go and read that email. I get up, turn on my computer, and I read the email. It was like everything that woman was telling me was highlighted in yellow. And God was saying, she's telling you who you are. You may not like the way that was delivered to you or the circumstances in which it was delivered, but ever, I've been telling you for years now, this is who you are. You are a servant leader. You are a Christian. You are a Christian counselor. You have this degree. I've been telling you that and you haven't heard me. Yeah. But tough love. And I love this. It's an opportunity to talk to his children. So why, how dare I give them less than what I have? Mm-hmm which is truth and truth in love. God wants us at our best to bring him glory. We have to go through it in order to give it out. And that was a hard lesson of just finally accepting my leadership role in the community. It was a hard lesson, I'm telling you. I just had to repent because I felt so bad that I had to receive it in such a way. But going back to when I was a child and all that abuse took place, all those things that happened and not really knowing who I was in Christ, just accepting him because I didn't want to be on the outside. I didn't want to be an outlier. So I joined the club. But then when I gave my heart to Jesus, I no longer was myself. So I had to get built up to figure out who he was. So it's been a journey. Yeah. And having that relationship with God is so important because the way you love God changes the way that you love others and the way that you accept yes. God's love changes the way that you love others as well. And another thing I was thinking of when you were talking about how you were in the closet and crying and going through that whole process mentally and emotionally, when we're on our knees, we're already in a position to pray. 
there's been many times even in my own life if I'm going through something emotionally and just something that's tragic and it literally just brings me to my knees because I just surrender to God and that's the best time to pray. So even in those moments where you are on the ground and the situation brings you to your knees, I think that's a really good reminder to take it to God and pray. Pray without ceasing. Yeah. As we're talking, I'm praying. Mm-hmm. As, as we literally are talking, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for the best outcome because I've learned that I'll be 59 next week. And I feel like if I've learned nothing else in the latter part is that pray without ceasing because it's a real thing. Whether you're going through, coming out in the middle, you know, in the beginning, it doesn't matter. You know, if you're not praying, then pray. Give God this thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for everything. Thank you for the experiences. Thank you for the encounters. Thank you for loving me so much that you had those tough conversations with me. Thank you for loving me so much that you put me in my right frame of mind when I thought I was losing my mind. I find those kind of conversations to be very real and it makes the tougher conversations more palatable. Yes. I know some people have a tough time with prayer. A lot of people who may not have grown up in prayer or whatever it may be, some people struggle. I don't know how to pray. And I'm going to ask you here in a second what advice you have for them. But for me personally, there's been times where I don't have any words to even explain to God what I'm going through, what is on my mind. But he always knows our hearts. There's not really pressure for the words to come out of your mouth or in your mind because he's never going to leave a conversation with more information than he already knows because he already knows your heart. He already knows your situation. So a lot of times, and I've been doing it recently, in my prayer, I will just imagine me giving a hug to God. And just even in that is prayer itself. And in my thoughts throughout the day, when I think in my mind, it's a prayer. And I know you and I have talked about this before because I specifically remember this conversation because you agreed with me. But anytime I'm thinking in my head, I'm like thinking to God. So all day, like I'm praying. So I guess this is a message for anybody who's listening. If you're struggling with prayer, just having your thoughts be conscious that God is listening to your thoughts, that's prayer in itself. You don't have to worry about specific words or a specific script that you need to go by. Do you have anything to add on to that with somebody who's struggling with prayer? Yes. Don't worry about being polite. Mm. Don't worry about, like you said, what's what's the right thing to say. You know, one of the things when my mind is so cloudy and I can't think of what to pray, I can't think of what to say. I don't have the words for it. And I just ask the Holy Spirit to utter those things for me on my behalf. The other thing, and I love what you said about prayer. Sometimes it's just quiet. Mm-hmm. Hear my heart, God. I always like to tell people to come exactly as you are. Don't try to get cleaned up. Don't try to get dressed up. Don't try to use the words because you have to do it in regular day. God knows your pain. He knows exactly where you are. He can handle it. Mm-hmm. That's what he wants, actually. Yeah, because we can't simultaneously listen while we're talking. So sometimes when we don't have the words, maybe it's because God is trying to talk to us and give us answers, yes. clarity, comfort, yes. whatever it may be. But we can't do that if we're just talking. So sometimes when you don't have the words, but you still want to go to God, that's God calling you to him. Because he has something to say to you and maybe you haven't taken the time to be quiet and listen. That's good. Yes. Do you have anything else to add? Those are all my questions I have for you. I've gotten so much out of this and I'm very excited to apply this in my own life and listen back to this and study, to be honest. (laughs) 
Yeah, um, I don't. I just want to thank you for coming up with the discomfort zone. I just that's such a special place to be, and I you make it more palatable, more easier for people to be okay with being in their discomfort. Like it's okay. You know, it should be a norm. Mm-hmm. And I think the way mm-hmm. your message comes across to people makes it okay to have those uncomfortable conversations. You know, you actually do have uncomfortable conversations. You, you know, I've seen you operate in your discomfort and you've done a really good job. And I believe it's because you've done so much work on the inside of you and you've allowed God to minister to you and lead you. Thank you. That means so much. Give a lot of credit to God. Like, I mean, I just pray that he speaks through me and that's what he does. And I mean, I guess the responsibility I have in that is being open to that and letting that flow out of me. And you do a very good job of that as well. And I recognize that in you from the moment I met you after you rejected my application, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) By accident. (laughs) Listen, your light, man, it was shining. So does yours. I I really appreciate that. By the way, uh, you've never been good with compliments. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe maybe we can talk about that on another podcast. (laughs) I do really appreciate it. Thank you again for having this conversation with me. To end this, I'm going to ask you an off-topic question just for fun. What are you currently looking forward to the most? This may be TMI, (laughs) but... I'm ready to start dating. I would like to be married again. All right. That is exciting. I will be praying that the right person and the right timing, man of God who has God at the center. So I'll be praying for you for that. That's, that is exciting. That is something to look forward to. Yeah. I would only share that with you on your (laughs) podcast. You know me. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you in two Mondays. I can't wait to see you. I'm going to give you the big hug. (laughs) No, I cannot wait. I am not a hugger, but I'm excited to hug you. (laughs) Yes. You've allowed me to just kind of just gently, you know, pat you, you know, (laughs) but I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And I know your mom would be so proud. I know she's still close and I know she's close to us during this conversation too. So yes. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on here and giving me all this wisdom because I appreciate it. And I can't wait to share your wisdom with other people and just to share you with other people because I talk about you a lot and it'll be nice to be like, hey, this is who I'm talking about. So be blessed, my friend. I, yeah, love you. I hope something good happens to you today. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you received valuable advice on how to navigate conversations of tough love on both the giving and receiving end. I know I will definitely be using OfferNet's wisdom on this and applying it to my own life. If you would like to know more or donate to Phoenix Pass Transitional Housing Program, you can check out their website at phoenixpass.org. That's spelled P-H-O-E-N-I-X-P-A-S-S dot org. Or follow their Instagram and Facebook at Phoenix Pass INC. I will also tag them in my social media for this podcast episode as well. If you like this podcast and want to share your love and support, the best way to do that is by following and leaving a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and by sharing with one person who you think could benefit from this podcast as well. Thank you for listening and making it all the way to the end and hanging out with us. I hope something good happens to you and spread a little love today. <laughs>